You're listening to episode six of the Inconvenience Podcast featuring Christian Warning. Welcome to the Inconvenience Podcast. I'm Frank Beard. And I'm Al Bear, the gas station gourmet. And we're going to do something a little different for the intro on this episode. Um, I, Our guest on this episode is Christian Warning. He is the managing director of the Retail Marketeers in Germany and also the NAX representative for Germany, Austria, and Switzerland. Um, Christian is really well known in the European convenience store industry, really great guy. We've known each other for a couple years now. And we recorded this episode in Germany, um, which is pretty cool. It was in Berlin. I went out to speak at a conference, and we took some time to sit down and record a podcast. But due to the time difference, it was really hard to pipe Al into the podcast. I think you were probably sleeping. I, I was that. probably sleeping, yes. That's, <laughs> I do that a lot. So I thought we'd actually change up the intro a little bit and just have a chat about the German convenience store market before we get into this episode. And I'm kind of a blank slate because, uh, you know— I, I really don't leave the United States for a variety of reasons, mostly because I think they won't let me back in if I leave. So uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm interested in talking about this. And, and of course, you know, Frank and I are really convenience store nerds, I guess. I mean, I don't know that there's two people who have a deeper passion or obsession with convenience stores than Frank and I. And so there's nothing I like better. Uh, than just shooting the bull with Frank about convenience stores, and and you know we always hope that uh, that you folks listening out there will uh, will learn a little bit about convenience stores, especially if you own one. So I'm anxious to pick Frank's brain about C stores in Germany. Yeah, we have a very weird hobby when you think yes. about it. Yes, a lot of people uh, you know play golf, uh, you know uh, fly those uh, drones and things like that. Frank and I uh, go to convenience stores. You know. <laughs> And yes, yet, and we wonder so in and take photos of dirty restrooms. <laughs> I know. I got to tell you, this whole uh, restroom photography thing, I know one day I'm going to get busted. I just know it. Uh, but so far, uh, you know, my marriage has survived, and Frank's marriage, although it's a new one, has survived as well. So uh, you can love C-Stores and, and find a person to hang around with you. You know, I, I, I like to joke, um, no, I married the right person when she gets excited about visiting retail stores. Uh, we both have a, a special passion on the side, too, for visiting bankrupt retailers like department stores um, that are going out of business. So a little bit of retail archaeology. Wow, that's but a lot of fun. It's so much fun. Um, you know, I think the business to be in, actually, is whoever designs those going out of business signs, because uh, the, the former graphic designer in me sees the exact same design at virtually every bankrupt store. Um, I don't know where they came from. Maybe, maybe that'd be a good podcast episode. We should track down the person who makes that and bring them on at some I point. I know, the whole psychology of it all. That would be interesting. I would like that. But so, so Frank, the German... Yeah, well, go ahead. I was going to just say, you know, to, uh, let's, let's, let's chat about the German sea store industry because that's so, a different world. It is a different world. Um, you know, one of the interesting things that I noticed about it... Um, in fact, let me take a step back. Uh Christian and I discussed this early on in the episode, which you'll hear in a little bit, but I, I had met with a retailer recently who very, very honestly had asked this question. Um, he said, what, 
what is the value in visiting retailers in other markets around the world? And he didn't mean anything bad by that. He, he just hadn't really done so and was really curious. Um, and I think that's a really great question. It, it just seems to me like every market is playing under a slightly different set of rules, um, slightly different background from its, you know, from its own culture. And certain trends are more developed where others are further behind. So when you get the chance to visit some of these stores in these other markets, um, it just opens your eyes to a completely different way of doing things. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it makes you come back home and ask, man, why are we doing this this way? Um, other times we may see, man, we really got some stuff figured out. But I'll give you an example. Um, like when I was in uh, Australia last year, I visited a retailer who had done such a great job taking those wedge boxes for sandwiches and uh, making, you know, he was putting them in boxes that looked sort of like uh, parchment paper, sort of cardboard color, would put a stamp right on the front, make it look authentic and homemade, which it was freshly made. But then you come, it just raised the profile of a sandwich. But then we come back home here and we see, we'll put a freshly prepared sandwich in a crinkly plastic container, you know, that uh, just looks cheap and kind of almost like lowers the like the perception of the food and you sit there and wonder man why are we doing this like we could just package these differently and make them yeah. look so much better in germany one thing you'll see though is their convenience stores and i would say the bakeries the grocery stores i mean anywhere that's doing grab and go food service they put them in open glass display cases the sandwiches yeah. are displayed so nice and it just raises the ambiance of the entire store seeing these beautiful sandwiches just laid out i mean just ready for someone to come purchase um they're not gated behind a menu they're not they're just right there i love the look of that you know it's it's a lot uh, of the way we do things in bakeries here you know i mean i know especially here in south louisiana you know we have a whole lot of french bakeries down here and you'll see all the 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 rolls cinnamon rolls donuts things like that but i've never seen sandwiches displayed that way and it looks like they've got a ton of sandwiches in all these stores frank i mean are they moving that many sandwiches from these stores you know it sure sounds like it to me um i mean the retailers i i had the chance to speak with um when when i asked about some of the products that i'd noticed in their stores and i said does does all of this sell um i mean it sounded like they do pretty well. Um, I think one of the challenges that they're facing, and and again, I don't pretend to be the expert on this. I'm, I'm still new to the German market. This was my second time visiting. I visited Berlin last year and then had the chance to visit again this year. But bakeries are kind of a big deal in Germany. So from one of the articles I've read, there's 44,000 bakeries in the country. And historically, they focused on sort of the early morning trade, immediate consumption. Uh, but now they're getting into more day parts. And... I could definitely see this walking around Germany, um, walking around Berlin. I stopped at a number of bakeries, um, and I'll share some photos. It'll be on the episode page, just a collection of photos from uh, my visit, because God knows I take enough of them. But um, the bread over there, oh my gosh, like I... I could I could live off that. <laughs> uh, there's it's a so ton good. of bread. I mean, this is definitely not a keto friendly culture. Uh, there's a lot of carbs out there, uh, and and they're all beautiful. I mean, I got to tell you, this stuff is amazing. And Frank, let me ask you: I, the C stores that I saw the pictures that you uh, that you took the pictures of are those chain stores or those individually owned stores? I mean, what what is that? Yeah, those are chain stores. So um, Al's talking about 
Reve to Go and also Freshwork. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll include some links to these. There's some really cool articles uh, that you'll have to translate um, on your web browser uh, if you don't speak German, but that have a, a lot of background on this. And yeah, they're, they're really cool stores. But those are two examples um, of retailers that are really kind of developing a st- kind of a new store of the future, you know, th- rethinking what you can do inside the convenience store. And in both cases, I was really impressed by the design of those. Um, I I think you were kind of taken aback when I showed you those two. Oh, my God, the wood. Uh, you know, these things all look so pristine, so new. But I got to tell you, you know, the wood just adds a real feeling of warmth and kind of homey and it's upscale. And uh, I really, really love the look. But, but I got to tell you, the thing that, that of, of course, you know, I, I have uh, issues with food. I can't get enough of it. It was displayed so beautifully in there, you know, and, and again, you know, in the windows, uh, just like you would donuts or, or rolls or pastries. And uh, I, I was just amazed at that, you know, because we're so used to having stuff packaged and uh, I just thought that was amazing. Yeah, that that really that really took uh, took me by surprise. It's 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 hard. It's. It's hard to fully appreciate just what that does to the ambiance of a store. Like, I, I, I still can't get over it. I, You know how we do it here. We'll prepare something, we put in a crinkly, cheap plastic container, and then we stuff it in, in an open-air cooler. Um, some people do that better than others, I will say. But it is completely different than when you, when you have it displayed, like, like you said, like donuts almost, just in this open glass case that's front and center in the store, and almost just becomes its its own part of the store design. It, it's part of the ambience of the store. It it just raises the profile of it. Um, I love so it. But when, when a customer purchases one of those sandwiches or, or the bread or whatever, how, how is it handed to them? Is it put in a box? Is it put in a bag? How do they do that? Um, yeah, it really depends on, on the store. I can't speak for everybody, but I did buy a few things. So like at Reve to go, I got a uh, pastry, um, that was actually from sort of the self-serve area by the display case. So Mm -hmm. you have tongs that are hanging on the side, um, that are kind of attached. Um, I just grabbed the tongs. I grabbed that, put it in a little, uh, bag, kind of like you would a donut almost. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, pretty, pretty similar to what we do here, honestly. And then just take it to the counter and purchase it. Um, for sandwiches, a lot of the sandwiches I got were actually in the sort of grab-and-go uh, cafe area inside some of the grocers. So there's a really cool store called Etika Sapphire. Etika, of course, has multiple other stores, but the Sapphire location is in this absolutely beautiful building. And, um, I mean, they, they're growing, like, their own uh, herbs inside the store. They have this amazing cafe area with so much incredible food. And so I went in and I'm not even sure what the sandwich was. It basically, it was some sort of artisan bread <laughs> that was shaped in a way I've never seen before, had sliced eggs on it, um, some sort of aioli maybe, and then a little bit, a uh, little bit of chives that were chopped up and just mm-hmm. kind of laid across it in a really artisan way. Um, it's a beautiful sandwich, but they but just put no that on But there was no meat on plate. it, right? There, there was no meat no, just eggs. Um, but a lot of the sandwiches actually have your sort of uh, prosciuttos, salamis, those types of meats. Um, that's really common. You'll see that a lot, actually. Some crisp greens, maybe an aioli. Uh, actually, one of the best sandwiches I had the entire time there. I still cannot get over how good this was and why I didn't go back for like two or ten of them. Um, so mainland Europe's largest uh, department store is actually in Berlin. It is a... 
Um, <laughs> I had to look at my notes here because I write down the square footage. It is a 645,000 square foot department store oh that has God. seven floors. Um, wow. It'll... It basically has all the magic that is in a true department store that is lacking from all of our uh, failing brands in the United yeah. States that, you know, can't even merchandise their stores properly. It's 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 it might be the coolest store I've, I've ever visited anywhere in the world. Um, but Cadeve, uh, uh, I think is how it's pronounced. I'm probably saying that wrong, um, but we're going to link to that in the episode. And the top floor is all food. I got this sandwich um, it had some sort of maybe it was like a. Not, I don't think it was prosciutto, um, but it was just kind of a thin artisan bread. It had this amazing aioli, some cured meats on it, and so simple. Not a whole lot to it. Um, it was like eight or nine euros. It wasn't cheap, but man, it was good. I I could have eaten that every day. When you're running around Berlin, are you seeing any individually owned stores, or are they mostly chain stores there? Yeah. There's definitely some independence. Um, you know, I probably didn't go in quite as many C stores as I would have liked to. Um, but one interesting thing that I saw as well, um, I have a friend at a company out there who we were getting uh, some coffee and she wanted to show me something. It's called, um, I might be pronouncing this incorrectly. I don't pretend to know how to say this right, but uh, Spati or Spati. It's, uh, it's basically a late night store. So these are almost like small convenience stores that, from my understanding, um, open up late at night and you can go in and just get, uh, you know, beer, wine, alcohol, chips, uh, just kind of that late night snack stuff. Um, but the alcohol laws are slightly different in Germany. So um, not only is a, the drinking age, I believe, is 16 uh, from when I looked it up, but wow. um, they don't really have an open container law like we do in the U.S. So, um, I mean, you could some of these stores you'll see, they'll have a picnic table outside, maybe just like a high top without chairs so you can stand. So let's say you and some friends had some dinner. Maybe you went to a bar and had a cocktail and had a good conversation like man let's let's stay out longer or you're walking back to the train station and you want to just hang out for another hour maybe stop in one of these grab a drink you know sit up on the table outside and just chat uh but unlike the u.s you're you know not going to have a policeman come over and uh say hey what are you doing you know <laughs> because you happen to be enjoying a beer um and it's not inside a building uh I, what, what so you've got these outdoor tables i mean are people pretty good about putting trash in cans and stuff because I know sometimes I, I go to places down here and it's like, wow, somebody needs to pick up the trash in the parking lot. What's How neat are these places? You know, Berlin is interesting. So I think it's an absolutely beautiful city. It's probably not going to be as tidy as, let's say, Tokyo or something mm -hmm. where <laughs> there's just pretty much no messes. But at the same time, um, it doesn't feel dirty to me in the way that like midtown Manhattan is dirty or yeah. San Francisco is dirty. Um it's just occasionally you'll see maybe someone didn't pick up after themselves. Um, I didn't notice as many public waste bins as some of the large American cities, but I felt like people were fairly responsible about garbage. I did not see a lot that gave me cause for concern, to be honest. I know down here, I mean, you'll sometimes find a trash can or a trash bin, at least one on every block, um, if not on every corner. You know, we, we make a lot of trash here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but yeah, here's, you know, 
Here's a couple interesting things, too. One of the things that they're struggling with um, in terms of cross-channel competition in Germany is the grocers. Um, so here's an interesting stat. Um, this was from, taken from an article, actually, that our guest Christian Warning had written uh, for a trade publication in Australia. But says that you know there's 330 supermarkets per 1 million customers in Germany. In Berlin, there's 450. The point being that... Um, there's a lot of supermarkets out there. Uh, I, I think for a lot of us in the U.S., our idea of a supermarket is you drive 15 or 20 minutes in your car, you park in a gigantic parking lot, you go in a massive warehouse store and uh, spend a good hour there shopping. And right. you may have a couple big supermarket chains. And then, of course, you've got your Targets and your Walmarts. And that's kind of what the lay of the land looks like. With... Um, with Germany, um, you've got Aldi, you've got Little, you've you have so many grocers um, that may be a little smaller in footprint too, uh, more discount minded. Um, there's a lot of options, and when you, you know, Berlin is such a walkable city. It has a really strong public transportation system. There's a lot of people cycling, um, which another thing, if you're there, make sure that when the bike lanes are integrated to the side of the sidewalk, that you you know that's there. Because, oh my God, if you walk into that bike lane, people are going to zoom right by and maybe collide with you. So wow. be careful. Um, but it's actually, it's a good thing. I was amazed at how many people cycle in that city, which is so cool. Um, we've obviously struggled in the U.S. and some cities to put proper bike lanes in. So when you see bike lanes done well, it's really it's really awesome. But so, so what you're saying is the bike lane is on the sidewalk, not on the street? It depends where you're at. Sometimes it is on the street, but sometimes it's it's to the side of the sidewalk. But uh, the pavement beneath it will have a slightly different color, so you mm -hmm. can tell where it is. But sometimes, you know, tourists may show up and they may not understand what that is, and then end up walking there or cross it when they're crossing the street or something, and then get you know clobbered by a bike. Um, so, like anything, if you're going to go visit a new place, take the time to research a little bit so you don't make stupid mistakes like that. Um, but one of the interesting things is because so many people are walking, um, these grocery stores, at least from my impression of them, it seems like every single one has a little bakery inside, a little grab-and-go food place, Ooh, uh, bio company, looks like bio company, if you look at the spelling. That's sort of like a Whole Foods over there. Um, I've eaten there multiple times. I love the food at that place. Uh their pastries, their bread, their sandwiches, everything is so good. So when you look at convenience stores are trying to sell the same thing, they've got competition from the bakeries, from the grocery stores, from everything, really. Well, Frank, uh, you've got 16-year-olds who can buy alcohol. Uh, what's going on with tobacco over there? I mean, can 16-year-olds <laughs> buy tobacco? I can't speak for that. I actually am not sure. I would have to look up the age restrictions on tobacco. However, um, unlike the U.S., oh, my God, those packages are disgusting. They, I, I mean, they put the grossest photos right on the front of the cigarettes. So, um, and they're not the only country that does it. Uh, a lot of countries actually do this, um, unlike the U.S., <laughs> um, but they're gross. Like there's photos of people with holes in their throats. Um, there's, there's one that it was a baby with a pacifier, but the middle of the pacifier has a cigarette coming out of it. Um, oh, nice. That's who thought of that. <laughs> and I don't know if the photos had changed in the last year, but when I was there, when I was there last year, I actually saw one where it was like a kid looking at a parent's grave. Um, you know, there's pretty clear what 
the message is. Um, there's one with like a cloudy eye that looks like it has like cancer in the eye. Um, funny thing, I was actually hanging out with someone at the NAC show last year who was from another country. I think he might have been from Spain. Um, but he, he pulled out chewing tobacco that had that image on it. And I just I was like, oh, man, like that stuff grosses me out when you see that on a on a package. Um, but see, this raises an interesting problem. If you're going to do fresh food service inside a store, do you really want that to be what people see behind the counter where you're selling food? Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah it's disturbing. Of course, you know, I, I worry that uh, an infant with a pacifier with a cigarette, isn't that encouraging people to uh, let their infants smoke? <laughs> I don't think that's a message they were trying to communicate. Oh, okay, I got it. Because I'm thinking, wow, that's... Uh, that's bold. That's bold. That's yeah. very bold. No, the no, minimum no. smoking age is three months. Yeah, no. I think I think they were promoting a, a much different, uh, much different thing. But you know, I I would actually like to dig more into the tobacco issue there because I saw a lot of uh, vaping. Um, mm-hmm. I first off, Berlin's got some incredible malls. I love the malls there. Our class A malls in the United States are certainly upscale, but then we've got a lot of other malls. Maybe the the other uh, maybe 75% of what's out there that just um, is just struggling to survive, um, that is just dangling by a thread. Um, but all the malls I visited in Berlin were amazing. And But I saw a kiosk in one of the malls kind of like right in the middle of the walkway that had like high-end vaping products and unique, uh, you know, um, not necessarily pods, but just the juice that, that goes in them. Um, mm-hmm. So... I don't know if they're less restrictive on that. I would assume probably. Um, obviously, what's happening here is a little different at the present time with vaping. It's really getting a lot of negative attention. Um, so it is what it is. But yeah, and I'm I'm just looking this up on Wikipedia. Uh, I mean, there's there seem to be a few conflicts here, but it looks like uh, one uh, Wikipedia smoking in Germany says it's illegal to sell uh, tobacco product to anyone who is under 18 years of age. So you can oh, buy alcohol, yeah. but you can't buy cigarettes, which is kind of interesting. Um, uh, but and it's also illegal to permit minors to smoke in a public place. Yeah, so that's like it's been in America forever. Sneak behind a building to smoke. That's what we want you to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, and safe. you know, and to be honest, like I, 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 I really do think I err on the side of just. Um, allowing people to make those decisions at a younger age. And, uh, you know, because it, send, it sends the wrong message, I think, when you up the age. It, it's like, I think it's Anthony Perini, uh, our previous, one of our previous guests who put on social media after the uh, tobacco age was raised here in the U.S. recently. Uh, he, said, he had some meme he shared, but it essentially said, uh, well, great, you know, you can go join the military and uh, take out hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt you can't discharge through bankruptcy, but you can't, you know, smoke a cigarette until right. you're 21. Yeah, like that, that seems, like, that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's, that's kind of weird. That's kind of weird. You know, Frank, one of the interesting photos you had that uh, I can't get out of my head, uh, you stayed in a very fine hotel. But it appears that the toilet's there, which I, I, I love that you photographed the toilet. You know, that's that's who we are. We go into <laughs> bathrooms, no matter where we are, and photograph them. So keep that in mind. If you ever invite Frank and or I to dinner, we will take photos of your bathroom. Uh, but Frank, you had a photo in there of a the toilet's square in this hotel. What's going on with the square toilets, Frank? We got to know. Man, I wish I had a good answer to that one um, because... 
that was actually not very comfortable. I, I can see that. Yeah. We, you know, if I was SpongeBob SquarePants, I imagine that would be a comfortable design. <laughs> But uh, yeah. I'm not. And um, I've, I've never understood from a design perspective when people design things that are squarish for humans. Like a good example is uh, if you look at uh, men's, you know, men's clothing, if you if if you're getting a button down shirt uh, for, you know, to wear with a suit or sport coat, um, the classic design of those, if you lay it out, it's almost a, squ- a square. Right. And but our bodies aren't shaped like squares. I've never understood that. And then what that produces is sort of the Frasier effect. Um, If you look at how Frasier Niles would dress in the early 90s, uh, you get that mushroom kind of pulling off the top of your pants because the shirt's too big and it's too billowy on the side. So I've never understood that. And man, on a toilet, it's just not comfortable when it's a square. Now, here's what scared me about that. The ex-cop me goes, this thing's really big. Someone could fall in. They're going to have to. The cops are going to have to come rescue them and get them out of there, because that was like it was such a weird <laughs> shape and it seemed really large. I could just imagine there's uh, uh, tourists have to get stuck in those things. Huh? That looks dangerous. Now, to be fair, I think that might have just been that hotel, um, and they were probably trying to do that to be fancy because it was a very nice hotel. Um, exceptionally nice hotel, but I think that may have just been, you know, someone trying to be creative and design it. Oh, uh, to be well, fancy. there you go. Leave it to the Germans to come up with square toilets. Love Germany. <laughs> not so not so hot on square toilets. Not so um, hot on that. You know, but one thing I wanted to mention that I found really curious is um, the grocery stores. So, you know, a lot of people, they go travel overseas and I'm not going to knock anyone for doing the touristy things. I've right. done plenty of them. I love going to museums. I love going to that stuff. Um, but sometimes people try to pick these super unique restaurants, and they don't take the time to eat street food, convenience store food, or right. go to a grocery store. But like, isn't that kind of a way to figure out how people live their lives oh, um, somewhere else? I oh, mean, no here doubt. here in the U.S., half of half of America visits a convenience store daily. If you wanted to see what life is like for Americans you would go into a, a convenience store. Uh, I mean, that's a big part of it um, for, for many of us. It's how we start our day or that's where we go for lunch. So um, so I did take the time to go shop at a couple grocery stores. Um, of course, had to go buy some bread. So uh, for dinner one night, instead of finding a fancy restaurant, I went to Etika Sapphire, bought some bread, mm-hmm. um, bought some... They had some sort of like organic prosciutto, something really fancy, looked amazing. So I grabbed a little box of that, um, some sparkling water, and tried to put a dinner together. And it was so, so delicious. Like, oh, my God, it was good. But now you here's put the thing. together in the hotel room with a square toilet? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I go into the grocery store and buy these things, and here's what I noticed. Everyone at the grocery stores sits down. They don't stand up, which I actually favor. I, I, I worked at a grocery store in high school. Let me tell you, like, if you stand in place all day like that without moving – that that's really uncomfortable. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's just not a good. I mean, it's nice to stand when you want to stand, but sometimes people need to sit. Um, so they're sitting. They scan those products so fast. It's incredible. They just fly right across, and they don't bag them for you. Oh wow! You have to bag them yourself. I've tried to look this up on the internet. I asked a couple friends that I that I know in Berlin about this, and they all said the same thing, which is that's just the way it is in Germany. 
you know, which which is fine by me. I'm someone that goes to the self checkout. I'm perfectly okay to bag my own groceries. Like I'm fine with that. But it raised an interesting question. It's like as as some of these um you know, service jobs are potentially going to be automated in the future. Here's a job that literally is doing something that automation can already do right now. Well, do they have the bags there for you to bag them? I mean, you can purchase them. Um, what I saw is every, it looked like everywhere you had to purchase your own bags, um, which is fine by me. But, um, you know, it's a, adds a tiny cost to it or it just encourages you to bring to bring your own bags, which is probably much better for the environment. Um, yeah. However, this just really stood out to me because, I mean, we're at a time where a lot of jobs are at risk of automation. Yeah. And that if all they're doing is scanning your products, like that's, that's a role that could really easily be automated oh, out. Yeah. Um, I just found that really interesting. Um, you know, it's, it's funny here in the U S because, um, I mean, I already use the self checkouts all the time. I personally would wish that a uh, checkout free technology, like what Zippin and standard cognition work on could just show up to grocery stores tomorrow. So I can walk out when I'm done shopping oh, and yeah. not, ha- not, not have to go stand in line or deal with a cashier. But, um, but wow, yeah, they if they don't bag your groceries, then that raises a whole other interesting question because I, I think in the US you've you've sorry, Al, you've got some older people. <laughs> You're, yeah. It's uh it's not you, but it's like everyone in your age Those group. Old people I, older than me. Yeah, I, I don't well, mind, you know. Your, uh, your age group for some reason is always the one that hates the self checkouts, and I don't know why. Oh, um, I love the self checkout. I embrace them. Well, I, it's crazy. I'll see all these weird comments on like Facebook about, um, oh, they wanted me to use a self-checkout, but I don't work here. And I'm like, wait, Oh, what? yeah, I've heard that before. I've actually heard that from people your age, too, Frank. I oh. don't get it, you know? Yeah, it's, probably. It's like, <laughs> you know, Frank, it's like the people who refuse to wear a, a T-shirt with a logo on it because I don't want to advertise for them. And I'm like, it's a free T-shirt. For God's sakes, put the damn thing on. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah you know, like, <laughs> I'm not going to advertise for them. And I, I think it's kind of that same mindset with the, I don't work here. And, and so they'll wait in line instead of just, you know, bebopping through with a self-checkout. That's, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Some it's, people are crazy, Frank. But see, it's funny because in Germany, they can't even make that argument because they are bagging their groceries. So it's, uh, yeah, that just, I don't know, that gave me a lot to think about. I found that really curious. Absolutely. I, I got to tell you, that's... I don't know. I I look forward to the day when you can just walk out and have frictionless checkout everywhere. But I got to tell you, um, you know, uh, some places here, I know that Sam's Club, uh, you can actually uh, download the app and check yourself out and not have to wait in line and go to, uh, as you're leaving, just show them your phone. She scans your phone and knows your stuff's been checked out. I love that. Yeah, anything that allows me to avoid waiting in line and allows me to just like get out of there when I'm done shopping uh-huh. is something I fully support. Um, it's I, I mean I've got an Amazon Go mug on my desk, so go go figure. Um, yeah. It tells you how yeah. I feel about this, honestly. Um, I think I a lot of people in general, though, uh, just completely misunderstand that people do want to get out of the store like that. I went to a convenience store this morning. Uh, to get a sugar-free energy drink before uh, we started talking. And, you know, I get to the counter and the person doesn't even say, hello, uh, you know. Oh, wow. Anything like that. The first thing they say is, do you have a loyalty program? 
Uh, like, hello. Thank you so much for asking. <laughs> Good morning to you, too. Um, now, to be fair, that cashier is being told to say that. Um, and that's what's so awkward about it, because they don't want to say that. They personally don't care if I have that loyalty program. Right. They right. couldn't care less. Um, I know that they are being told to say that. They look at me, and they know I know that they're told to say that. And it's this weird, it's this weird interaction that's just uncomfortable for everybody. So, Frank, in Germany, when you go to a C-store, how are the prices in the C-store compared to, say, the grocery stores? It's a little hard for me to say. The reason is, um, again, I'm using a different currency that I'm not used to. Um, so, to be fair, I probably wasn't being the most price-conscious shopper uh, when I'm walking right. around, around as a tourist. So, um, I probably couldn't speak to that quite as much, to be honest. Yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, what I find, uh, like, uh, you know, beer... You know, I always know the price of beer in places, and I find the price on beer in C stores here in South Louisiana it's about the same as it is in a grocery store. You mm-hmm. know, and if it's a more upscale grocery store, uh, it's it's probably cheaper in a convenience store. You know, so uh, I find convenience stores very competitive, which is kind of interesting because a lot of people think you're going to pay more in a convenience store, which is definitely not always true. But I always wonder if it's like that in foreign countries. So. Again, I'm really excited about this episode, and I just want to reiterate that there's so much value in getting out and seeing um, what it's like in a different convenience store market, um, You know, whether it's in Canada, Britain, Germany, Australia, Japan, like anywhere. Just get getting out and seeing a slightly different market provides such a great opportunity to learn more about your own business and just to change your perspective on some things. Oh, um, Absolutely. Even it, drive it, 30 miles from home. If you drive 30 miles, you'll get a different perspective. Oh, yes. Even, I mean, even here in the U.S., um, regional differences are so pronounced. Um, just going and looking at um, how things are different in Louisiana from Iowa or how they are in Maine or how they are up in the Pacific Northwest, you can learn, again, so much more by just getting a different perspective. So, um I would also encourage everyone, Nax has a lot of great international events. Definitely Google Nax International and see what's coming up. Mm-hmm. And if you're a store owner, um, if, you, if you're um, you know, in the leadership at a chain, like take the time to go to one of these things. Um, you're really going to get a different perspective and talk to some folks who uh, see things just a little bit differently. And that might make you, I would assume, would make you a little bit better at your own business. Oh, yeah. You know, I just interviewed a... Um uh, Lucas Johnson, who runs Papacitas, uh, up in uh, Papacitas Burritos up in uh, Perham, Minnesota, and uh, he said, you know, he and his wife drove around for weeks eating burritos <laughs> and seeing what they could use, you know, to to make their product better. So, yeah, I mean, that's just a great way to do it. I mean, that's market research, and uh, it's. Pretty cost-effective market research, too, because, you know, you go, you see what works, what doesn't work, you get to taste it, you get to see it, you get to feel it. But I, I think, very importantly, you get to talk to the people behind the counter and find out how it's working for them, you know, which I think is so important to get that perspective to figure out, you know, what kind of strategy you're, you're going to use when you're either going to bring on a new menu item or a new food program or something like that. Yeah, and I and I think this will be a good introduction, uh, this episode, for anyone who wants to know more about Germany. Uh, Christian is such a, a noted expert on the German forecourt market. Um, we have a lot of good information here. So sit back, enjoy this, and keep in mind that this episode page has links to so much extra information, photos, articles. Um, so there's a lot to consume here, but I think you'll enjoy it. 
Auf Wiedersehen. All right, so this is the first on the Inconvenience podcast. We are actually in Berlin, Germany at the moment in a really cool building. Um, it seems really old. It's, uh, what, what exactly is this building? You were telling me about this when we, when we came here. Yeah, hi, Frank. Uh, great, to, great to have you here. And yeah, that, that's really a, a, a um, pre-war, uh, typical Berlin side we are in. Yeah? So around us now, Many of the leading startup companies have conquered over those old factory buildings, and we are on one of it. But actually, as you've seen, it's still in use. Uh, we have uh, the factory in the in the front house uh, still still working. So yeah, that's kind of the Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Berlin style we are in here. Yeah, and for anyone who wants to see, I'll have a few photos on the episode page. Uh, so be sure to check that out. This is actually a really cool place, but. I'm particularly excited about this podcast. Um, you know, some of you who know me know that I, I had the chance to start doing a lot more international trips this last year. And there's just so much to learn from talking to folks in this industry from all around the world. And I had a question come up recently that I think, I think is a good place to start for this episode. I, there's a person from a, um, a company in the industry who very very nicely I just asked this question he said well what's what's the value in visiting convenience stores overseas and I, I just think he hadn't done that very much and um, I think that's kind of a good place to start because I actually don't think a lot of listeners may quite understand that yeah that's uh, <laughs> that's a very good question I, I get that a lot because uh, as you know I'm, I'm traveling a lot and then over see over 1,000 sites a year so like, like you do all over the globe and I get many of the same question, and I, I refer to to some examples. So there is a great family, the Heinz family from from the U.S., and they run a small chain, but a decent one, kind of in their region of ten, fifteen sites. I think coffee stop, gas stations, great, great venues, and they coming to Europe with Nacks on the convenience summit Europe every year. And we asked them why they do it, and they invited us to 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 go to their sites and. They could really um, show us on the side every from every trip they get the one uh, example which could make the difference in the local market, and they really picked out the best practice that worked uh, within their um, within their stores and, and on their sites. and And this is is it's about kind of shamelessly stealing best practice from other retailers. That's what retail is about, and. And not, not everything works everywhere, yeah, but it's, it's the one thing that, that can make the difference. Yeah, it's, um, it always seems to me that everyone is kind of trying to do the same thing under a different set of rules, a different set of circumstances, and whatever trend you follow, whether it's food service or something else, someone's further ahead and someone's further behind. So it's, there's always something to take away every time you visit a different market, and uh, which I think a good place to really go here is what, how, broadly speaking, how does the German C-Store market differ from the U.S.? I mean, a lot of the stores I've been to are definitely a lot smaller. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's maybe the, the, the most obviously answer. <laughs> so if it comes to size, yeah, um, uh, Texas is double the size of Germany when, <laughs> from, from space, but uh, uh, here are above 80 million people, so triple the size of the population of Texas live in very dense in, in Germany together. So everything is more dense here, and, and this is where 
we have figured out in the industry that that 800 square foot is the most profitable size for the C store industry. And as real estate is in a dense uh, environment, much more expensive and and one of the big cost drivers, um, that that's that's pretty important how to utilize the space. Yeah, I uh, um, I actually went to a store the other day. It was a Rave to go. Um, it was real similar to the one that we went to last year, actually. And it's a it's a good place to get a breakfast, though. I what really stood out to me is how well they utilize the space inside of there. Um, I mean, every every part of that store had a purpose. Yeah, that that that's really. I, I think when it comes to um, key measurements, and we we compare compare global data in terms of kind of turnover per square foot and profitability per square foot and that the German convenience retailers are leading and and uh, it's really then a fight about the square kind of our measurement centimeters in the store and and uh, that that's where we are I think um, very German and, <laughs> and makes a difference in terms of our success. Uh, we, we, we're doing good in profitability in, in, uh, uh, on, on, on given spaces. Now, one thing I've noticed out here is the food is displayed so differently. Um, it seems like everything is in kind of an open glass case um, where you can just see it already fresh right there. Um, you know, one thing you've certainly seen in the U.S., we've seen to gate everything behind a menu, To where it's like you don't see it until you've actually ordered and received the food. It's just displayed on a menu, or God forbid, you're eating it out of a box or something. Someone, I think it was over here last year. Someone said Americans like to eat out of boxes, um, <laughs> which I thought was kind of funny. It's not untrue. So, yeah, <clears throat> exactly. It's um, you also find that in the U.S. Once I'd say yeah. So if somebody has got a a, a nice uh, kind of shelf where they show their goods or even the grab and go open space gondolas you you see the even packaged products but you but you you, you see them and yes um our small bake shops uh, we are used to to really see uh, what we are getting so to say and this is basically the answer but this is also kind of a question whether that's still right or in a kind of movement of food to go and offers and personalization made to order on site uh, it's also of course best practice from my perspective is more to um, made to order made on site like the wawas and cheats are doing in the u.s and make it back of house and get it fresh produced and the consumer has got the confidence that the product is, is the same quality every time they are there Yeah, actually, that's a good point on on personalizing it. I, um, our last guest we were talking to um, found out she hates onions, and I guess I'm not much of a fan of onions either. And I've been in situations where food's pre-made and it looks really good, but then you see there's a bunch of onions on top of it, and I know it's just going to ruin <laughs> the flavor profile. Um, but I, I was thinking about that yesterday because there were three or four sandwiches I wanted to try, and they had something on them that I didn't like, and It, you know, one thing, I, to your point about Sheets and Wawa, being able to hit on a touchscreen what you don't want on your food, that's, that's such a nice thing to have. Yeah, especially in Berlin, if you ask the, the people behind the counter to, 
to make uh, things different than they are used to, you, you get a fancy answer from them. You can be sure on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I definitely didn't ask them to take that off. So <laughs> I just got something else. In fact, I got a uh, pastry. It was, I think it was some, like spinach and feta maybe, it looked like, um, inside uh, kind of a pu- just a nice pastry. It was absolutely delicious. But that's one thing I've noticed over here is there's so many more types of bread. Um, I mean, we have some, you know, we have obviously places that do that in the U.S., but it's not as common. I mean, everywhere I go here, from the grocers to the convenience stores to the bakeries, the coffee shops, the bread selection is incredible. <clears throat> yeah, that that's basically when it comes to the kind of fundamental eating habits in a in a different country. And Germany is a bread country, so so people are used to to have their breads and rolls in the morning. They even have. Some breads besides uh, during lunch uh, or the sandwiches is bread-based. Uh, and then there's also um, during the evening that it's a cold evening meal, uh, which is based on bread. Uh, and this is also different when we bring that into the retail environment. Uh, we have 44,000 bake shops at corner locations where you see in other markets to the typical convenience stores. And this is why I count the bakery shops in Germany also into the convenience community and say this is a convenience store from my global perspective yeah? but but th- this is this is the difference yeah um, you really go to to your local bakery shop and buy your bread take it home yeah and you visit your bakery shop maybe one two or three times a day yeah that's actually interesting is it, is it just the bakeries that are the big cross channel competitors or who else is fuel and convenience really competing with now um it's it's also the supermarkets and even the discounters nowadays yeah so um when we when we come to that in in terms of density of supermarkets in and grocery retailers in germany we are we are talking about um triple the size of the density in the u k for example yeah so um, it's it's really a, a high competitive retail environment when it comes to grocery store. Not talking about price. I'm pretty sure we come to that later. <laughs> and, but uh, <clears throat> giving the, the, the bakery shops and their movement during the last 10 years, the leading chains have really made it from from a traditional bakery offer to what we call a snackery offer, where they part different offers and they made a huge step also in terms of customer experience, atmosphere, having seating places. So you would call it, from your perspective, more a restaurant than a bake shop, bake bakery offer. And this is also driven by competition they are faced because the supermarkets and discounters have introduced very good um, departments with bakeries and breads. And now... They also offer kind of ready-to-go, food-to-go offers inside their supermarkets and, and discounters. And this is where kind of the <clears throat> the fear is for the convenience stores, especially at gas stations. They're really stuck in the middle. From the one side, there is kind of the, the offense from the bakery shops and the other from the grocery retailers. And so everything like globally comes together there is a channel blurring yeah, and then and, and uh, the the gas stations are in the middle so they have to do something yeah actually i had the chance to visit some of the grocers here as well um is it is it a, a bio market yeah yeah um it's i organic so to say bio is organic yeah felt kind of like a whole foods almost yeah. um i went to one 
the other day that was in like an old train station uh, that was beautiful building. And uh, it's just interesting to sit there and watch customers shopping at it because so many folks are coming in just for that grab and go food that's right inside the front door. Um, I mean, bread, sandwiches, uh, everything you could think of. And I, I had some when I was here last year. It was it was really good. Exactly. You, you, you have seen that with your eyes. Yeah? Even in the organic kind of whole foods like supermarket, you have bread inside the supermarket as a department, so to say. But in front of the cashier, you have a clip-in bakery dedicated for that kind of customer target group with organic bread, protein bread, yeah, upmarket bread. Yeah, you, can, you can buy a bread there for, for $10, yeah, where you can have kind of the same size of a bread in Germany in an Aldi market for $1. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's interesting. So, um, you know, it seem, seems like at least around, around this city, Everyone uh, relies more on walking and public transportation and even, even, even cycling than maybe they do in some of the cities in, in the U.S. Um, I mean, I've noticed Berlin is a fantastic public, public tr uh, transportation system. Um, but in so many cities in the U.S., you're basically, you're getting in your car in the morning, you're driving maybe 30 miles to work, um, and then you're turning around and driving home. And so, you know, the grocers are, are enormous. Uh, they're basically gigantic warehouse stores that you're pulling in in the car. The convenience stores, of course, uh, may not be in an area that's easily, easily accessed by walking. Everything's accessed by cars. It seems here it's quite a bit different, though. And absolutely. And, and there you see kind of uh, also the, the need for and kind of a shift of, of how the gas stations see themselves. They are pretty much still oriented, even if they are located in an inner city, for cars yeah? and not for the pedestrians who are walking by or bicycles or, or, or other uh, clients. It's, it's now starting that they have recognized, hey, we are here, we have a great location, yeah? but our customers are not or still coming with, with just with cars, yeah? so we have maybe to move the building more to the store uh, to the to the front line of the street and have to have an extra entry for that from the street. Yeah? So there there are changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely interesting because I I noticed that at uh, uh, Reve the other day, um, most of the customers that were in there, I would suspect at least from the ones I saw, they they were just walking on the sidewalk nearby. I mean that's how I got there. Uh, it's just constant traffic of people walking up and down that, that sidewalk. Yeah, that, <clears throat> of course, Berlin is a perfect example. Um, massive growth in public transportation, yeah, massive growth in alternative mobility systems, car sharing, ride sharing, bike sharing, whatsoever. Yeah, so, um, and, of course, um, Reducing cars in a city uh, um, and not having enough parking space and, and all those kind of also political environment decisions to, 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 to shift away from kind of uh, individual car transports in, in the inner city. So one thing I'm curious about, too, is maybe what, what the what the store model of yesterday looked like. Um, I think for the U.S., if you went back 10 or 15 years, it was pretty common to think of a convenience store as a place that might have some flickering lights outside at the forecourt, might be a little dirty, um, maybe have a restroom that's best avoided. Um, and 
whether that's right or wrong, that's sort of what the reputation uh, of the industry had been. I, I mean, I would argue that's not really what it is today, although there are still plenty of those out there. But what, what did sort of the old store model look like here? It, it's pretty much the same. And then one can say that industry nearly globally wide, yeah, especially in the, <clears throat> in the major markets, yeah, that um, the old model was kind of the, the Coke, the Marlboro, and lottery and, and the newspaper stuff, so what we call the kiosk offer. Yeah, and it has changed a bit as a kind of confectionery tobacco newspaper plus kiosk plus offer with coffee and, and some other stuff, but not having made the major change into a different customer experience into the restaurant area. And, and this is where other formats are um, uh, doing better and supermarkets have uh, nice areas to see to, to rest for a while because if you are walking through the city you might want to have a little rest yeah? and you can have that at the bakery shop and you, you should have that as a gas station too and this is uh, this is the need and this is the customer demand is there and they are now getting um, to 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 have to invest and and bring a new kind of customer value proposition also to see stores at gas stations so i'm also curious um Prior to the NAC show last year, you had the chance to do a road trip through a pretty good portion of the U.S. Uh, what were some of, well, first off, uh, what was your impression of, of that? Yeah, I mean, ha having seen so far, let's say, 20 to 30 U.S. states, yeah, and I really lost my heart in Texas. <laughs> 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 of course, uh, I've heard about it. I haven't been there so far so often, yeah, but uh, again, now, uh, after a while being, being there, and because everything is bigger in Texas, yeah. But it was so nice and relaxed to to go there on those kind of five, six lane highways, <laughs> and then not stucking in traffic, and then seeing those those wonderful sights. And and of course there are kind of uh, local heroes like the Rudys uh, in around Dallas, yeah. Perfect sandwich. It's a, it's a restaurant with kind of pumps in front, yeah. So it's not a scalable model, but it was kind of interesting. And um, I, I I loved uh, the new um, 7-Eleven uh, um, store in Dallas. Thank you very much for the 7-Eleven team for hosting me there and and, and showing it to me. Um, that that was pretty impressive with the mobile checkout, with the clip in of the of their taco taco format, the Laredo taco taco. Yeah. Of course, I'm always impressed about Bucky's. <laughs> and, and once you buy uh, buy kind of merchandise uh, and you're wearing proud Bucky t-shirt in northern Germany, uh, you know Bucky made it made a good job. Yeah, and and so so that was impressive. Of course, um, uh, other um, uh, um, offers as well. Yeah, and and. Uh, um, of course, you 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 see when you're when you're on the road yeah, that that the, the different propositions, uh, the very clear and sharp CVPs. That that was what I was impressed for, like the uh, the no truck signs at Bucky's. Yeah, that that's a very clear kind of DNA <laughs> a company uh, could have, uh, having operating a forecourt with 220 positions yeah, a few positions yeah, and then you say no trucks yeah, you, you you won't find a, 
gas station kind of uh, oil company manager in Germany who would who would underwrite that that investment proposal for for a site like this at a highway. Yeah, I um, I've never pulled in there in a large truck, but I've certainly seen stories where folks have tried that, and uh, sounds like they're escorted out very quickly. <laughs> um, they, <laughs> it sounds like folks materialize out of the stores and ask them to leave. Um, uh, those signs always make me laugh. They, uh, I don't know if you saw any of the signs they had about dogs, um, <laughs> telling people <laughs> to pick up after their dogs. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. and that, that's also I saw a lot of kind of playing grounds. Dog parks at sites. Yeah, um, I haven't seen what I've saw in the Netherlands last year. A dog wash at a BP site. Yeah. Dog wash. Yeah, like next to the car wash was a dog wash site. So I will share that picture. <laughs> well, <laughs> if if you're ever back doing a doing a road trip, the um, world's largest truck stop in Iowa actually has like a full a full on dog wash. <laughs> It's the weirdest thing, uh, but they've they've got a whole separate dog wash at yeah. their at their store. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's 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 a clear offer for a clear target group, right? But that's not scalable for every site <laughs> around the world. Yeah, but this is one example that that people think about what the customer need is why they're on the road, yeah, why they're on the move. Yeah, and it's you know it's it's interesting to see how I I think everyone is responding to a to a changing customer too. Um, I don't know if you saw the news recently that. Um, it was revealed GoPuff actually had gotten 750 million in funding from or in, in investment money from SoftBank last year. Um, I mean, but I've used I've, I've used GoPuff multiple times. I've got it on my phone. I don't think it's gonna. Don't think they'll deliver out in Berlin. But um, <laughs> it's it's so convenient. I, I mean, they've got delivery times down to like 20 minutes. Um, I mean, I've told this story before, but I, I was at a conference where they wanted like $10 for the Corona in my hotel mini bar. And I'm like, I'm not paying that. Yeah. I just had GoPuff bring one over 20 minutes later. And it was not much more expensive than it would have been to walk down the street and, and pick one up. But I can see why people use that app. And um, I mean, it raises some serious questions about how convenient is a convenience store still. Yeah, this, these are the, the examples where we, we see different industries when you look back 20 years ago in a hotel you've, you've bought to, to see a movie there for, for 20 bucks or something yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> <I remember laughs> in, a, in, in, a, in the day of streaming and, and yeah, you, you even had to pay for Wi-Fi and, and other things and to be connected yeah. uh, now they may ask you for using the power for your devices or something to pay something for that <laughs> yeah, I don't know but it's really of course Different business models were shifted and disrupted by new offers, and this is basically because some people have a clear look and vision and listen to customers and make a kind of laser-sharp bullseye CVP on it yeah, and take friction out of out of a situation and out of the shopping experience uh, uh, to, to, to get that customer and, and make that customer happy with the offer they, they, they give them. Yeah, and see, I, I think that's something our industry, to a certain degree, is struggling with still. Um, you know, there's a retailer I went in the other day where, I mean, before I even set my things down on the counter. Well, for, first off, there was a large line. I mean, because as the stores get bigger, as you add food service, suddenly there's more people inside. And then you're asking them about loyalty cards. You're asking them, did they find everything? As if they ever said, no, I didn't find everything. Can you help me with this? You know, you add all this friction into the checkout process and pretty soon you have like eight people waiting in line. But before I could even set my things down on the counter, uh, the store associate had already just asked if I had their loyalty card. 
I'm like, man, I need a chance to breathe. I, I, I just got up to the counter here. And it, it just made me realize, like, this is, this is such, this is, this is the wrong model. A perfect example of what I liked uh, at the, the newest racetrack sites, the flagship stores I saw in Georgia and, and Atlanta, uh, the self-checkout at the cashy zone, yeah, where the customer is able to self-checkout but has got the option to talk to the staff for certain items, for age check things, and staff has the chance to talk to people if they want and have the feeling if the customer wants it, yeah, but not kind of like the machine, like a robot asking, or like the operational standard, I have to ask him during this 20-second payout process five different questions. Yeah. You know, I, I really have to wonder if that model of store associates is just on its way out, though, because I don't think that's the future model. If you look at the Apple store, for example, um, now, I don't go in there very much. I'm a Microsoft and, well, just anything but Apple, you know, consumer. But if you look in the store, people are just hanging around. They're clearly identifiable by the shirt they're wearing. Um, I mean, it's kind of like Amazon Go. They're just there to help you, but not really get in your way. I almost wonder if that's maybe more of the way it's going because, I mean, a lot of people don't want to talk to anybody. You, you see that in, in the Starbucks reserve roasteries as well. Yeah, that's kind of the concierge um, kind of staff who's, staff who's who's going and walking through the sales floor uh, with kind of little payment machines and you can buy and and, and check out immediately with those persons. And, and this is where a perfect example how things were changing and and of course all the unmanned stores and and technologies you know we have seen at circuit k in hong kong last year an ai um, uh, uh, cashier process where you put your goods at the cashier next and and the system sees immediately what you have uh, and and there are everybody is kind of working on on on, on, on different things in that that arena and This is basically because the consumer wants to take friction out of his shopping experience, especially when it's uh, a one-stop shopping convenience offer. Yeah, it's it's about speed. Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. It's you know, it's kind of weird when you think about it. It's like, all right, everyone who's so used to e-commerce, everyone is so used to an environment where they get on Amazon and they know them well enough to recommend products that they've never heard of but can't resist buying. Um, You know, people are used to being in the driver's seat, making decisions, and dealing with companies that um, just have removed friction out of their lives. I mean, I did all my Christmas shopping on Amazon, sitting on my couch, on my phone. It's so easy. But then you go to a brick-and-mortar store, and the experience feels so antiquated and so out of date. And, um, you know, going to a counter and someone asking, did you find everything today? Well, if I didn't, I'm going to come find you before I come to the checkout register. I'm here because I'm ready to leave. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely, and and of course we we have that discussion often, and um, and where in that kind of new retail environment fits a convenience store, and and I I think we really have a huge opportunity. We we have perfect locations, and we have great people in our industry, and if we combine those two aspects and redefine the formula, why people have to come to us and make a kind of a go-to destination rather than 
because they are filling up and they are on site and while they are there they may buy a bar a chocolate bar or whatever yeah? no we really have to give purpose and reasons why to come to our sites and and uh, it won't be to buy kind of staple goods which could people more easily have a free buy online immediately robot robotized <laughs> however <laughs> automatically coming in subscription models with toilet paper or other stuff yeah? Yeah? but for a certain shopping experience fun gamification aspects really make a difference people are while they are on the move they like the interaction yeah but it has to be a in a positive way, in a friendly way, and that um, could make the difference. Yeah, yeah, and it's, um, you know, so I guess one of the things I'm, I'm curious about that, so who, who in Germany would you say is kind of setting, setting the new trends in fuel and convenience? Who, who's figuring out what the store of tomorrow is going to look like? <laughs> I, 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 I hope nobody in Germany hears us. <laughs> we are not very famous for being the innovators, yeah? and especially when it comes to, to retail and grocery. I would say the last innovation we made was Aldi. Yeah? And when Aldi, the Aldi brothers founded their business, it's still a huge success globally. You know that? Yeah? And I, we've got one right, right by my place. Uh, we've actually figured out, my, my, my wife will, uh, she'll of course hear this, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, if she can shave 20, 30 cents off anything, she's going to do it. She's just wired that way. And we found out that the frozen broccoli at the Aldi closest to us is got to be 50 cents to a dollar cheaper than anybody else in town. So we'll go there and just get armfuls of it to put in our freezer. It's, and, and, it's a great and story. Coming off the, the home country of, of Aldi and having that cemented market share of 45 plus percent between Aldi and Lidl in the grocery retail like any other markets they are jumping in will end up in a similar situation if you if you look into the data into other markets yeah? so they are still starting in the US yeah? um, it's it's about that 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 people trust them they trust the quality and they are, they are happy to buy the same product cheaper at their stores and if you look into the newest formats they have set up here in in Germany Uh, we call it the supermarketization of, of, of Aldi nowadays. Yeah, they have spent, just in Germany alone, five billion dollars in getting a new formula on the ground. Yeah, and in terms of shopping experience, it's, it's not a kind of old-fashioned discount model anymore. Yeah, and and this, is, this is really where, where a lot of market pressure also comes to, to convenience retailers. They, they even offer coffee to go now. They, they have... They have those rolls. They have those nice spinach feta uh, pastry you have, you have bought at a gas station. They also have those products, uh, and this is this is really where where the the I think this convenience stores and gas station that they will never beat them on price in Germany. That that would never happen. Uh, so we really have to go for quality differentiators going out of the sea of sameness here in the industry and really doing something different for a dedicated kind of customer target group and and that's a higher margin product could be on quality when it comes to food and then uh, Aldi won't have kind of burgers and pizzas uh, on a certain quality level but 
of course, the technique is starting. The vending machines getting better. Yeah? As long as they are coming, yeah, uh, they will be the first ones, maybe, who have robots uh, who produce things also on site. Yeah? And this is where uh, our industry really has to speed up in, in, in the process and um, everybody has to do something. Yeah? So the reputation, and that's the, 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 the reputation for having a great snack on a gas station and a food-to-go offer is not there yet. So that's interesting because it sounds like what you're saying is where the fuel and convenience retailers are going to have to differentiate themselves is they're going to have to be known as the place where you get the quality. You know, but that's interesting because I don't think that's a channel that's always been associ associated with quality. But I guess in a way, we kind of see that playing out in the U.S. Um, I mean, there is no one that's going to look down at getting a meal from Sheets because it's just that good. Um, where I'm from Iowa, Casey's General Store, their pizza is, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, there's a reason why, I, I mean, that was always what we'd get growing up on Friday nights. If you do family pizza night, you just get it from Casey's uh, because it's just that good. But um, our, our, do fuel and convenience retailers here have a bit of a stigma to overcome, though, kind of like, like we're dealing with? Uh, but uh, perfect examples that, that really shows uh, it's possible. Yeah? If you concentrate on a signature product, yeah? if you put your organization behind it, if you make a great job there on pizza, yeah? you can grow. Yeah? And the success of Casey's, I mean, this is really well-known globally nowadays. And, and uh, this, this is really um, impressive. What would you say generally, though, the biggest, the biggest challenges are right now that fuel and convenience needs to overcome? Like, what are the biggest immediate hurdles facing the German market? It's about to, to um, getting in each and every offer at a convenience store on market level again. If it comes to coffee in your local market, don't compare your site to the next gas station, but compare to the next coffee offer around in your local market. Could be Starbucks, could be another coffee shop, could be a bakery shop could be supermarket yeah? you have to be the best in certain co uh, categories or at least on the same level yeah? and so there are chances to be even in decreasing categories like tobacco yeah? to be in the tobacco competence center in your area yeah? that could be one answer yeah? and you have other tobacco products and wiping and e-cigarettes and something like better than a discounter ever could have yeah? or a supermarket Yeah, that, that could be chances even in decreasing categories. Yeah, but overall, um, the, the customer experience and offer in terms of anything which is needed, basic needs, hygienic factors when you're on the move, has to be right. And that always starts with the best toilets in the market. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, we do not have that at gas stations, uh, that, that people really trust that, 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 that offer. <laughs> yeah, I think that's been one of the biggest sayings hurting retailers in the U.S. too, is it's a condition of their restrooms. Um, I mean, nothing erodes trust in a company like a dirty restroom because it just sends the message that you don't care about your customers enough to even clean the restroom for them or, you know, make it, make it up to date. I, I mean... I had a experience last week. I was in uh, 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 Kentucky, and I went into a retailer. It's one of the largest in the, in the United States and one of their stores. And 
man, they have a st- two state-of-the-art bean-to-cup coffee machines sitting on a countertop in a store that would have been out of date 20 years ago. The restrooms were disgusting. The store was disgusting. And I don't want to buy coffee from a place like that. I mean, if Starbucks looked like that, there's no way they would have people lining up 20 deep in the airport to buy their coffee. Exactly. And, and, and people sometimes are kind of annoyed that, that people like us always talk about those basic facts and basic needs yeah but as long as the industry is not keeping up that yeah and um, we really have to talk about it and it also starts with the cleanliness of forecourts yeah? if the forecourt is not clean yeah, people won't buy their fresh sandwiches there and if you go from the forecourt into the shop and the first offers in in, in front of the shop is still oil or car care products and you go inside and the most prominent gondola is also a car-related product, which you find a lot in the German market. You do not wonder why customers are not in the perception to have the best sandwiches on site. And my most loved example on that globally is Fresh Stop from South Africa. They have started to bring fresh fruits on the top shelf gondola whenever you go into a fresh shop, fresh stop at Kaltik sites in South Africa. And I asked them, hey, yeah, it's South Africa, everybody is eating fruits or something. Or, no, no, we have the same problems like all over the world with selling fruits at gas stations and convenience stores. But we take that as our marketing investment and put them away from the cost side of our franchisees. Yeah? And we say, this gives kind of the fresh spike when you come into the store. And since we have that, we sell a hell of a lot of sandwiches. That's interesting. It's an halo so, effect. Uh-huh. So they're they're putting their fresh fruit just right out there in front, like that's what people see immediately is fresh fruit. Exactly, and they they they're not expecting them to buy that, but the customer perspective: if they have fresh fruit, then the f- sandwiches must be fresh as well and on a good quality, yeah? and that works. That's the halo effect uh, how they in the marketing theory. See, that's interesting because one thing I've been frustrated with uh, some re- some retailers in the U.S. is they'll they'll have that inside their store, but if you look at the signage outside of the store, all you see is cookies and pizza, and and, and that's fine. People want cookies and pizza, but why not make a third of that health you know healthier fresh food, for example? Because to your point, when you see a sign about a you know buy a salad and get a free water or something. That's a that's that's a signal that there's other fresh products inside the store besides the salad. But if all you see is cookies and pizza, then um, you know if a if a family on the go with a bunch of kids is looking for something healthy before they're going to a soccer game, they're not going to wander in and look around because they're not going to think anything good is inside. Absolutely. At least you can have a salad robot, huh? like like Loop in California or Valora yeah. with the Avec X store have that in Zurich Main Railway Station. Well, you know, they have a lot of interesting formats out in California. I had the chance to spend some time out there last year, and uh, I saw two different coffee robots. Um, There was a basic one inside the airport that, um, you know, it had a great menu, but it just wasn't a very attractive robot. But then there was one in downtown San Francisco where they're using uh, an arm from a car factory, like an automated arm, and it literally dances while it's waiting on the coffee. It, uh, it, we, we, we saw a similar one in Shanghai last year with the next Kumi yeah. in Summit Asia. Uh, it was yeah, like a robot from the car industry. And it was, well, <laughs> and it was cool because if you looked at the one in the San Francisco airport, it just looked 
kind of co- complicated and just it just didn't have a good appeal to it. You know, it looked like just a, like a like a little factory. But then you look at the robotic arm, and they've turned automation into a way to delight customers, entertain them. I mean, I sat there and watched it making coffee because it was so fun to watch this little robot arm arm dance. Uh, I told them they need to get a pair of googly eyes and put it on there, but they didn't. They didn't want to, you know, humanize it in any way. One thing I want to get back to you had mentioned though because i saw this last year when i was here the number of stores that that had shelves of motor oil parked right out in front of the front door is there really that much motor oil being sold or is that just something that people have done for years and they never think to question top up oil yeah of course would be great yeah? if it could be actively sold by staff even on forecourt yeah it has a great margin it's a great product yeah? but the demand of people of course is randomly there yeah? and and uh, even if 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 there are huge successes if a company has installed forecourt attendants again and asking people and selling top up car care and 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 loops there it it, it It's not in that sense that the massive kind of presentation of the merchandising goods reflects the actual demand. Yeah? It's a leftover from the good old times of an oil gas station, and this is where the oil companies are still coming from. Yeah? Yeah, sometimes I always wonder, like, how many of those old leftover things are still in our stores that we don't even think to question because it's just what you do inside a convenience store, and so you're going to keep doing it. Um, one of the things that we saw when we were visiting stores here last year, too, um, forget the store, but we walked inside, and we we started asking, you know, they had changed over their uniform to go away from a fuel uniform to more of this, like, new store model. Same job. Everything's basically the same. But they were getting a different applicant pool simply because they changed the logo away from a, from a fuel logo. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, where I don't remember where that was, but... Um, I, I know this, but I will, won't mention it. <laughs> yeah, we won't call them out. <laughs> yeah, because what, what we've seen there, actually, it was perfect because that gives the trust. It's on the kind of a Starbucks coffee shop barista styled outfit of the merchant of the pen of this of the people of the staff behind the counter yeah? and that gives confidence in competence and food to go and food service offer but next to him was the other staff wearing the oil company's uniform because he was kind of the idea for the oil company was we still want one from the old world and one from the new world but we all know an operational <laughs> <laughs> they may change roles because a customer wants a role and the other one wants to pay for fuel. Yeah? So that that's a typical mixture uh, where you see if you emerge to a new world that some people are not brave enough to really cut out old things and really move to a new world and really separate uh, um, the food-to-go offer and the whole atmosphere, what is needed for food-to-go from the from the um, fuels business. So just to switch topics slightly, but I'm I'm curious because this is of course somewhat related. Um, is Germany experiencing a massive change in its retail landscape like we are in the US where a lot of, um, you know, we've of course had a lot of department stores closing, a lot of apparel retailers have gone bankrupt, uh, Toys R Us of course disappeared. Is that is is that a trend here as well? Yeah, that that's a global trend in major markets. It, it's not um, 
that massive, but it's still there, especially department stores and those old traditional retail models uh, are blown away by, by online um, and, and retail. Um, and uh, But as you have seen in terms of the density of how we live, yeah, there is a better chance for brick and mortar to survive in, 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 than in other parts. But of course also the textile retailers um, have problems with their brick and mortar offer in comparison to online offer. Yeah, and I'm, you know, one of my, ex one, of, one of the things I've noticed with a lot of those stores, and I don't think this gets enough coverage, is what the actual customer experience is like inside of these failing stores. Because when you read about them, they focus on, you know, maybe their levels of debt or some of the drama at the corporate level. But the people who write these articles, I have to wonder, do they, do they even go inside these stores to see what it's like? Because one of the famous ones by me was a company called Yonkers. And I've, I've told this story before, but they built the first uh, escalator. They called it an electric stairway in the state of Iowa. Um, people would come from miles away to ride up and down this thing in the early 1900s and very iconic brand. Well, they eventually became part of Bonton. Bonton went bankrupt and Yonkers disappeared. But I mean, I went in the stores multiple times before they closed and they felt it was like stepping in, in, in a time machine. They were so out of date. They had poor merchandising. They had a really confusing um, customer experience. If I was ready to purchase, to purchase something, I had to go track down an employee. You had to find um, a countertop that had a register in weird places. It just felt like it was a vestige of another era. Is that kind of what the stores were like here? or Absolutely the same. So those retailers are really, they wait for the Kodak moment and the Kodak moment is there. It, it, it's not coming, it's, it's there. The operational excellence is bad. And even if, if, if consumers still... We, we are a much older population comparison to the US yeah so um, and, and and so the, the shopping habit yeah? is still that people wants to support brick and mortar yeah? and they they love to go there but as long as the shopping experience is so bad on site yeah? that the online fictionless model is not only cheaper but also better in terms of kind of confidence that you get what you buy <laughs> then uh, those retailers have no chance and they, they it, it, it's not kind of uh, change is not possible for, for some of them yeah, they, that's yeah and I think one of the things that they miss sometimes and, and you see some of this in fuel and convenience is folks talk about um, you know building a better customer experience but then they just kind of change up a logo or maybe um, you know, put, put some new flooring down in a store. They make it look aesthetically better, but the function of the store never actually changes. And, you know, example is oftentimes the problem is the function. Uh, I went into a, a very large bookseller in the U.S. You know, I was sharing the story er earlier today. Um, they've since changed this policy, which is great, but I'm just amazed that this policy went on for so long. I went to get a book because I wanted it today. And so I drove over to their store. I start to bring it to the counter and I think maybe I should check what it cost on their website. It was maybe 20% cheaper on their website. So I asked the uh, <laughs> person at the cash register, hey, can you just price match your website? Uh, no, we don't do that. 
And I'm like, wait, you don't price match your own website? Are you, are you serious? Um, I mean, even Best Buy does price matching now because they have to. And so I actually stood in the checkout line, pulled open my phone, and I went through the buy online pickup and store process and said, I'm just good. All right, I've bought it. Here's my receipt. I'm leaving the store now. Thank you. Um, but that's the thing. The store did not function well at all. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is a perfect example. And, and I, I, I love that, that, that view on the, um, you have, Frank, on that is I always tell the retailers, you cannot invest yourself out of that situation just by putting new fixtures in, new interior design and put a different logo on. If you do not change the offer and if you do not change your DNA as becoming a restaurant operator rather than a fuels operator, then you won't have the, the success on the market. Yeah, and I, I think it's hard for some of them to transition out of retail into food service. So I absolutely, this is it's about change management, transformation. It's it's massive change. Well, and I mean, I, I've had experience waiting tables in a restaurant, and you know, one of the things you realize immediately is there's just a very different culture in food service. Um, just some of the things that you don't even question that you just do automatically. It's, it amazzes me, and I've shared this before, but you'll you'll see retailers invest in indoor seating, and then they don't wipe their tables down. Well. Now you just undercut all those investments by something that could have been fixed with 15 seconds and a cheap spray bottle. I mean, it's not that hard to do, but sometimes I just don't think they, they don't have that background and that expectation and those, you know, that sort of, the, those habits built up. Or maybe don't bring in the folks who do. Yeah. In, 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 in that whole context of what I really like, how, how people see themselves, and of course, one example we mentioned that a lot of times is cheats yeah? they they talk about running restaurants yeah? the same as daily de Luca doing in norway they are running 200 restaurants at gas stations and axon gas stations railway stations and high street locations yeah? and if you talk about running a restaurant that it means you have to have some seats yeah? even if they are not occupied all the time at a gas station but people see it yeah And they immediately have a com have a confidence into the competence of the food offer at that site if there are seating. So, to change topic slightly as we start to wind down. I was curious um, how how did you get involved in this industry? I don't think I've ever actually asked you this question. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, actually I started with Shell uh, in the late eighties. So about 30 years ago, I jumped into that industry, and I'm still there. This is uh, randomly you find guys who, who are that long in in the in the same the same arena. And I made it uh, in my early 30s. I made a sidestep uh, to Deutsche Bahn German Rail, which is the largest landlord in in Germany, when in, in the away of home market, and I was there responsible for. <clears throat> for the the letting business and and running double headed also the largest convenience store chain outside gas stations in Germany and that was my corporate experience so 13 years with Shell different functions running a billion dollar non fuels retail business in Germany um, marketing uh, brand and communication stuff like corporate careers are every two thirty three years a different job. And since 12 years now, I'm uh, 
doing my own business and basically um, trying to help very hands-on modus operandi to improve the bottom line of, of clients in that industry. Yeah, because it always seems like you have your hands in a number of different projects. What all? What exactly does your company do for anyone who's listening who is un, you know, unfamiliar with it? Just contact me and I, I will let them know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Now, uh, you're also involved with some of the NACS conferences over here, correct? That, that, that's right. I'm, I'm on a volunteer base, by basis. I'm, I'm the next representative for the German-speaking market and serve as a special advisor to the International Board of Directors with NACS and the uh, Europe, Middle East, Africa Committee. And um, I do that, uh, and, and I like the, the people I met. I can really enforce everybody um, to have a Berlin experience this year in June, coming to the convenience store summit uh, uh, from Nax in, in Berlin. The three days in June will be perfect market study tours as well as conference and networking. And those events are really f an answer if, if, if people ask you or me, hey, what are you doing abroad? Yeah, you cannot have in a more kind of compact way better knowledge of that industry. If you're new to that industry, use NACS for speeding up your knowledge into the industry and keep in contact with them and, and go abroad, have a look onto it, have a joint look with other industry peers, whether suppliers or other retailers at sites, at the shelf, and that, that's really a big and huge value of, of, of NACS. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree. I, I think one of the things that we've heard from virtually every guest that we've talked to is just the value of going to, you know, various conferences and getting, especially if you're an, an operator, getting out of your business and getting a chance to work on your business instead and not just being stuck in, you know, your kind of your own environment. I mean, getting other perspectives, hearing what's going on and really staying in touch with the trends in the industry. Yeah. Looking for best practice. That's, that's, that's what you can do there. And, and, What, what Nexus Famous was about. You have ideas to go. You, you have several media. You are writing for the great Nexus magazine. They are doing a brilliant job. Next Daily. All the other really huge, valuable content yeah, for making your business better, making yourself a better kind of person also when it comes to the kind of leadership programs. Executive education is great. Yeah, and so I really can enforce everybody to, to get in touch with, with Next, uh, rather there in the U.S. or abroad. Uh, Next International is also uh, uh, really kind of a, it's a family. And, and, and uh, this is uh, how we met. This is uh, uh, that, that we are talking about the industry. And uh, we have uh, the same great friends out of the industry and that that's that's keep going and growing and and this is this is not only a lot of valuable work and insights it's also a lot of fun yeah i would definitely agree and as we as we close out here too i was curious what you know other than what we've discussed here so far today what what topics are you personally really interested in that you're following closely uh, it, it, it's mainly um about the changes in the future that I've been uh, confronted with questions whether gas stations are surviving in 15, 20 years. Are they necessary if autonomous vehicles going somewhere to fill up and EVs do not need kind of fuel tanks anymore? Yeah? So, so what about 
the location itself as the gas station and what's the future about. And this is where we develop kind of mobility hubs, ideas, and bringing more in innovations into that industry. And that that's one example. And, and others are really clear on that way how to improve my bottom line in, in terms of what's the right offer for the right target group and um, the, the, the work on CVPs is underestimated if you do not have a laser sharp CVP and again I stress the, the example of sheets yeah, they do not spend a single dollar of getting me as a customer yeah. they are looking for younger guys yeah. They spend it. They don't put a sign on no Christian morning on site. Well, they will come here, yeah, but they do not spend their marketing budget on it. And then that, that's, that's the right way. And people still think because we serve everybody and everybody needs to come to a gas station at a certain moment that everybody is everybody's customer. And that's not true. That's not the winning formula in, in forecourt and convenience or retail. Yeah, and I think some retailers, you know, will, will say, well, yeah, we don't try to be everything for everybody. We know who our core customer is. But then do they really, like, do they really adjust their store to fit that core, you know, that core customer? And I'm not convinced that some of them do. They still feel like it's a one-size-fits-all approach. But then you look at Sheets. I mean, if you follow their Twitter account, they're on there playing Rocket League and PUBG and other games with people on Twitch. They've, like, redefined Sheets Run and Done to mean when you're done gaming late at night, zip over to Sheets at midnight and get a bunch of food and go back and game more. They send, you know, mouse pads, care kits, Bluetooth speakers, like all this stuff to their fans on Twitter. I mean, they've taken this to a completely different level that no one else, quite frankly, seems, seems, seems to be doing. They know who their customer is. Yeah. Um, uh, others are more attacking me, like, like beat the freeze at the Atlanta Braves game or something. This is where I personally get, uh, as a customer, uh, I'm energized by the marketing activities, yeah, but yes, you are right, yeah? and and this is this is really where where it, it's it's still a lot of kind of understanding um, necessarily that this is a people business and this is a marketing driven business, and what marketing really is not about spending advertising money somewhere; it's about driving your whole organization into a certain direction and serve your target group better to have a greater part of their wallet in your in your organization and get the money back from them. You know, and I would argue a lot of these big department stores that have failed in recent years are exactly the kinds of companies that tried to be everything for everybody. They you know, they, they had no clear differentiator. It's just a big warehouse full of a bunch of stuff that doesn't really appeal to anyone. Uh, absolutely, and there you can compare many other disruptive industries as an example for our industry, and this is where we really have to take care and to, to get better in what we are doing and to, to reset certain formulas and for certain sites and, and find the right formula for each and every local site because that, that business is getting more and more localized. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely agree. Well... Thanks for, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Um, thanks for having me here. It was great talking to you. I guess one thing we'd want to ask before, uh, I'd want to ask uh, before we go is for anyone who's new to the industry, whether they're an operator or whether they're taking that first job out of college with a large retailer, what would, what would your advice be? Of course, uh, 
listen to Incomings podcast uh, <laughs> regularly, Frank. <laughs> now, also, it, I stressed that a moment before. So, really, um, tie into next and 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 the next communication that that will um, that will um, um, be speed up your your onboarding process into in the industry um, in, a, in a big way. I would say that that's that's really the the best to do and. Um, have a have a new look and uh, um, see yourself always as a as a customer and consumer in the retail environment and how 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 and who's doing that better and and steal shamelessly the best idea for your organization and try to implement it and be faster in implementing uh, not in evaluating but implementing. Yeah, I think I think that's good advice. Well, thanks again for joining us on the podcast and. Uh yeah, I think I think folks will enjoy this this episode.